This morning's reading is from Exodus chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Let me pray for the message now. Oh Lord, I feel such a joy in my heart, I don't know how to put it into words. But that the mercy of God received in these symbols of communion ought to give us hearts to be on mission with you in this world, to spread the mercy that we've just received. And how I thank that you are a mission-minded, merciful God. How I thank you that you pursued your people from the garden and from the days of Abraham and Moses and Israel and Jesus and all the way to our day. How I thank you for all that you've done to allow us to call you Father, to allow us to share the love of Christ in Walmart last night, to allow us to share the love of Christ with a jogger who fell beside the road today as one of our brothers stopped and shared the love of the Lord with him, to share the love of Christ in India and in Bangladesh and in, in uh, Madagascar and all around the world, our God. Well, it's just such an amazing thing to be found in you and to partner with you to spread the glory of your name. And I pray that you would ignite our hearts with a passion, Lord, to share your love with those who need it. Oh, Father, fire this church up with that passion, I pray. And give us power, give us boldness, I pray, to go out into the world and look for opportunities, seek opportunities, and have the boldness to say the words that you give us to say when you give them. Oh, Father, and encourage us now by Moses. He was a humble man. He was a, an, a frightened man. And yet you gave him words and he submitted himself to you and great things happened. Oh, may we learn from his life. Please open up our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our wheels now, I pray. And by your word, accomplish your purposes. We love you, Father, and surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses, one day was going to become a, a very, very great man of God. One of the greatest men of God ever to have walked the earth by the grace of God. 
But in this day, he was depressed, and very depressed, to be honest about it. God had called him to be part of something extraordinary, to go from where he was back into the land of Egypt, and to play a part in the deliverance of the people of Israel from the Egyptians who had held them captive for some 400 years. It was a great calling. And though he was reluctant for a season, he really felt very inadequate. And he was reluctant and pressed against God, but eventually he submitted himself to God and gathered his family and went into Egypt. When he first got there, things went very well. He went to the Israelites. He told them that God had sent him, and they believed him. They took him as a gift from God. They rejoiced with him. They, they actually had a worship service and worshiped God together with him. And this was far beyond Moses' expectations. And so he began to believe, yes, indeed, the Lord has spoken. And yes, indeed, despite my weaknesses, the Lord, my God, is with me. And he was excited. But pretty soon, uh, things took a turn for the worse. And, and they went pretty bad. Moses and Aaron went and confronted Pharaoh. And that day, the most powerful men on the earth... And he did not receive them well. And instead of listening to them and releasing the people of Israel from captivity, he actually turned up the heat of the fire of oppression upon them, which enraged the Israelites against Moses and Aaron as well. And so now here is Moses sent by God into Egypt, and he doesn't know what to do, because even though he has obeyed, everything seems to have gone wrong. God told him this was going to happen. God tried to prepare him from the, for the difficulty that he was about to face, and yet obviously it didn't compute somehow, because when Moses' expectations clashed against reality, he became very depressed. God had graciously tried to prepare him, but again, Moses didn't get it, and so he just sunk into a depression. Now, he was a man of God. And he did what men of God do when they get depressed. He went to the Lord and he shared all of his heart with him. One thing I absolutely love about the Lord our God is that He is not afraid to hear the depths of the cries of our hearts no matter what they are, no matter what the difficulty, no matter the challenge, no matter our... Sometimes we're honestly confused by God and maybe even upset with God if we were being honest about it. And what I love about God is that He is not afraid to hear those cries from our hearts. He wants to hear our hearts. And when Moses poured out his heart to God, God received his heart and God comforted him. God gave him insight about what was happening in his life. He helped him to see why what was going on was going on. He gave him wisdom about what to do in the future. He gave him specific steps to take. He gave him specific words to speak to the people of Israel so that he could comfort them as well. And I do believe that this really encouraged Moses. The way I read the story is that Moses' spirits were lifted up. The Lord his God had told him, Moses, I am with you. I am Yahweh. I am the great I am. And I am with you. And even though you have pressed up against some difficulties, believe me, I'm in control. And I'm with you. So go speak to Israel. And Moses did that. But when he spoke the words of God to Israel, they did not believe him at all. They too were depressed. They too were dejected. They too ran into the wall, that place where our expectations don't meet with the purposes of God so well. And what we thought God would do is not what God in fact did. And they were depressed. They were pressed down by so many years of slavery and now by false expectations that they had. And no matter what Moses said, they just could not believe, or at least they would not believe. And I believe this drove Moses into a a significant depression. 
I really believe that. I know some of you have been depressed, and I don't mean to make light of what you've gone through, because I know depression is debilitating. I'm telling you, I think Moses fell into that kind of depression in these days. He said to God at the middle and then again the end of chapter 6 in Exodus, He said, Lord, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. I'm not the guy for the job. What He was saying is, Lord, I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm just not the right guy. I think that I hear from You. I think I have a kind of relationship with You. But when I go and speak Your Word, something just gets lost in the translation and it's not working, God. I left everything that I knew to come here and do this and it's just not working. So God, let me out of the deal. Please just let me out of the deal. And God was gracious to Moses. Like a father, he heard his heart, he heard his cry, but God would not release Moses from the call he had put upon his life. God received Moses, but he would not release Moses from the call he had put upon his life. And here's why. It is the way of God to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong and the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It is the way of God, as you prayed, Kimmy, to use our weaknesses to display His strength. We are eager to hide our weaknesses, to run from them, to deny them, to change them, to hide them in some way, shape, or form. And the thing is, beloved, God is seeking our weaknesses. God is attracted to our weaknesses. Why? Because in our weakness, His strength is displayed. Let's say that I took a nail and beat it into a piece of wood with a hammer. Well, that's not a big deal because a hammer is stronger than a nail, right? But what if I took a piece of straw and I was able to hammer a nail into a wall with a piece of straw? Well, that would really be something because it would display my strength that I could use something so weak to drive in a nail. That's how God is. He's looking for our weakness, not our strength, so that He could be glorified. And Moses didn't understand this. Moses didn't know that God most like, most often chooses the unlikely candidate, not the likely candidate. He chooses the weak one, not the strong one. He chooses the younger, not the older. This is the way of God, beloved, and it's always been. Moses didn't quite get it, but God did. So again, God received His Son. God heard His cry, but He would not release Him from the call that was on His life. So you'll see there in the middle of chapter 6, He reiterated the call to Him and gave him a charge concerning Israel, gave him a charge concerning Pharaoh that they should let God's people go. He received him, but he did not relieve him from his duty. The Lord is a good Father. He's a good, good God. And that brings us to chapter 7. So much had happened that confused Moses, but beloved, he was now about to see with his eyes, because of his humble submission, despite his feelings, because of his humble submission, he was about to see the delivering power of God. God did not do things in the way Moses wanted, that's true. But God was now about to do things that Moses never expected and that would take his breath away and the Egyptians' breath away and the nation's breath away all the way down to our day. The Lord himself would show that he was God and there was no other. You'll see there at the beginning of chapter 7 that as a faithful father, he drew near to Moses again and began to speak to him. He began to give him counsel. He began to prepare him for the ministry he was about to enter into. And he told him, Moses, listen, I am with you. 
I have given you great authority. That's what it means when it says that I've made you to be like God before Pharaoh. In other words, I've put my authority upon you. And I've given you Aaron to be your helpmeet, to be your partner in ministry. You will not be alone. You won't have to struggle so much with your stammering tongue because I'll speak to you, you speak to Aaron, and he will speak the words for you. I've, I've given you everything you've asked for, and I am with you. I'm with you all the way. I want you to be bold, Moses. And when I give you a word to speak, I want you to speak it without fear to Pharaoh. Do not be afraid. Say everything that I tell you to say. But here, I need you to understand something. When you're faithful to me, and you say the words that I tell you to say, Pharaoh will not listen to you because I am going to harden his heart. I will stop up his ears. So when you speak and he does not listen, don't take it personally. God is fathering Moses, beloved. This is not about you, Moses. This is about me. I have the power to soften a heart. I have the power to harden a heart. And I have chosen to harden his heart. Why? So that I could display my glory before all the earth. It's not about you. You be faithful to me and then watch out because I'm going to do great things. I'm going to do sign after sign and he will not believe. But one day will come when I do a particular sign and He will believe and He will let my people go. And with that, the Father released Moses into ministry. And He said to him again and again, I am with you. I am Yahweh. I am the great God. And when I do these things, they will know that I am the Lord. The reason I'm choosing to harden Pharaoh, the reason I'm going to do all these signs is a, a simple reason. I want to put myself on display so that the Egyptians and indeed the whole world will know that I am God. Look at chapter 7, verse 7 with me. Notice there's a little detail in there. A lot of time has slipped by. Remember just a couple of chapters ago, Moses was a baby. And then he was a young man. And now all of a sudden we get to chapter 7, verse 7. And how old is he? He's 80 years old. And his brother Aaron is 83 years old. I want to point out two quick things there. First of all, notice again here, the younger is having authority over the older. We saw this in Genesis over and over and over again. Here's the pattern again. Moses is the little brother, not the big brother. And God put his authority on Moses because that's the way of God. His kingdom is upside down from our kingdom. He chooses things in a way that we would not choose. More importantly, we see here that Moses had already lived a long life, beloved. He was not a young buck. He was 80 years old, okay? He had already been through a lot. Those years in the desert were a lot of years. He had to wait and 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 wait upon the Lord. And, and, and by the world standards, he is pretty much washed up. He was done. It was too late for Moses to make anything of his life. But God just doesn't think the way we think. Amen? Some of you are getting older. You know, you know what the midlife crisis is all about? And I know because I'm 44 now, so I'm right there. The midlife crisis is about this. I had dreams when I was 20. Basically, none of them came true, and it's too late for me now. I'm not 20 anymore. Life is going by fast. I'm already 44. I'm going to be 64 like that. Life is over, and then, and then you get depressed. And then you start doing stupid stuff because you're seeking for something that you feel that you can't find. Well, I'm here to tell you today, beloved, our hope is not on this earth, and our earthly age is irrelevant to God. I'm actually going to preach through Joshua before I go to Hebrews. I've decided to do that. And I'll say more about Caleb when I get there. But just for a minute, think about Caleb, the old guy, 85 years old, 
saying to Joshua, Joshua, please, I'm strong. I got dreams. I want to take the land. Let me at him. Right? And then Caleb, this old man, is released in the power of God and, and he succeeds. He goes because his age was irrelevant. The purpose of his life was not about him. The purpose of his life was about God. And the age just didn't matter. So here Moses is an old man. He's 80 years old. And he's just about to embark on the greatest season of his life. So no matter where you are, beloved, don't give up on the dreams that God has for you. Do not give up. God has you in His mind and He can do great, great, great things. So Moses and his brother are old. They submit themselves to God. Somehow they gain an audience with Pharaoh and they perform the sign before him that God had given them to do. Again, they take the staff of God, they throw it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. For the third week in a row, I want to say to you, this is not a fairy tale. This is a powerful act of God to show that He is God. Now Pharaoh's magicians come in and by trickery, they're able to mimic what God had just done by way of a miracle. When I was a kid living in Los Angeles, my mom used to take me from time to time to studio, uh, to Universal Studios in Studio City. And there they would make fake rain, for instance. They made a lot of fake things, but the thing that sticks out in my mind is the fake rain. And the fake rain looks very real. And when you see it on the screen, it looks even more real. But it's fake. And their trickery, their ability to make it look as though it had rained does not invalidate the fact that when it actually rains, God did it, right? So just because magicians could mimic what God did, it doesn't mean that God did not have the power to turn a, a staff into a snake. God did what Aaron's staff had done. And so just to show the power of God, somehow Aaron's serpent killed and consumed all of the other snakes just to show his dominance. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he would not believe. He refused to believe that the Lord God had done this thing and so he would not listen to Moses. And what that ended up meaning was now that the judgment that God had stored up for Egypt for so long was now about to be released upon this people. God had hardened his heart to be sure, but that hardness came with a certain consequence and everyone was about to see indeed that the Lord was God. The whole point of Exodus chapter 7 through 12 of every one of the plagues is to reveal the being, the reality of God, and we're about to see that transpire now. To help us understand what's going on in this text and why this God of ours that's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, why He would inflict such pain on people that he's, as He's about to inflict, I want to say a few words about the Egyptian religion to help us understand the context of Exodus 7-12 through and what God is up to because it's pretty powerful. The Egyptian religion taught that the universe was a, a harmonious whole and that every part of the universe played a part to create what they called balance. And this balance of the universe was really the, the essence of their religion. They called it the ma'at, the balance of the universe. Now, so far so good really for us because we believe that God is a God of order and not a God of disorder. We believe that God created every single thing in the universe to balance with every single other thing and that somehow it all fits together and that He Himself holds it together. We believe that. So when they're teaching that the universe is balanced and, 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 a, and a whole, a universe, we say amen. But here's the problem. They taught that Pharaoh was actually an incarnate God and that Pharaoh himself was responsible for maintaining the balance of the universe. 
That every single piece and part was held in place by Pharaoh and that if he let go, it would fall apart. That was their teaching. And so the confrontation that happens in Exodus is between the Lord God who is really God and Pharaoh who was a pretender God. And we have to understand in this day, Egypt was the most powerful nation on the earth. Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the earth. And so the whole earth would have thought about this as the, the most powerful religion. And they would have thought of Pharaoh as the most powerful man and even a God. This was a worldwide belief to some extent. And so God is confronting the greatest idol on the earth to show something. That He alone is God. You'll see this phrase over and over again. By this they will know that I am the Lord. By this they will know that I am the Lord. So this morning and later when you read through the the plagues on your own, just realize with every single plague, God is challenging a part of the Egyptian religion to show that they are not God, but that He is God. This is a showdown of who is really God. So, Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. You'll see there, the Lord commanded Moses to confront Pharaoh and and say these words. The Lord, Yahweh, the I Am, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me or, or worship me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Moses was being very bold. He's telling the most powerful man on the earth who thinks that he is God, that he has not obeyed a God that he doesn't even believe is God. And Pharaoh had the power of life and death over Moses, so he's being very bold. And then he says to Pharaoh, by this sign you will know that God is the Lord. And with that, Aaron stretches out the staff of God and strikes the Nile. And with that strike, the Nile and all the water sources in Egypt turn to blood. How that happened, I don't know, but I trust in God. He is the God of water. Water is the giver of life to us, and He's showing Himself now to be the God of water. Whatever He commands will happen. Now the magicians of Pharaoh were able to come in and in some minor way mimic this. You see, in Egypt it was not unusual to see red water because when the tide rolls in a certain way, even to this day, the the water will stir up sediments on the bottom of the Nile and make the water appear to be kind of red. So they knew how to do something to uh, make the water appear as though it was red. And this hardened Pharaoh's heart. What they did was just trickery. What God had done was a miracle. What God had done was show His absolute sovereignty over the source of water. But Pharaoh hardened his heart and wouldn't believe. But even though he wouldn't believe, guess what? He was powerless to do anything about what the Lord had done. You'll see there, if you read this, that the people of Egypt had to actually go near to the Nile and dig down for water because all the other water supplies were polluted. And if they couldn't drink, they would have died, obviously. So round one, the Lord shows Himself to be God. He's God over one of the things that is a life source for us, water. Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not believe, so the Lord sent a second sign. Moses stretched out his hand over the land, and Kimmy, I'm not sure if you're going to like this or not, but frogs came up from everywhere. Now this woman loves frogs. On any given night, you could see her out in our yard playing with tree frogs. She just loves them. She loves bugs. She loves all that stuff. Believe me. She likes fishing, the whole thing. But I don't think she would like this because when he put his staff out, frogs sprung up everywhere and they covered everything. Everything. Now this is significant because the Egyptians actually worshipped frogs. I don't know where they got the idea, 
but they felt that the frog was the giver of the breath of life, and so they worshipped frogs. You can see to this day in their calligraphy in Egypt, you'll see frogs there because they worshipped them. So the Lord God is saying, no, not the frog. It's kind of silly to think that a frog is the giver of a breath of life, not the frog but me. I am the God of water. I am the God of the breath of life. I have absolute and total control over frogs. Somehow or other, the magicians were able to mimic this as well. But Pharaoh still went to Moses and Aaron and said, Please, plead with the Lord your God. Plead with Him that He would stop this plague. And they did. And God did. The Bible says that there were so many frogs that they actually had to heap them up into great piles and that things began to stink. You can imagine a big pile of frogs going bad. It wasn't so pleasant. And that was the land of Egypt. And yet somehow this powerful man's heart hardened because I believe he's still in this challenge for who is God, and he's not willing to quickly lay down his supremacy. His heart is hardened, and he will not believe. So the Lord God sends a third sign, and he inflicts the land with gnats. Go out on your porch at twilight, and just sit there without bug spray, and you'll start feeling what these people felt. It was horrible. It was not good. Gnats all over the land. And for the first time, the Bible says that the magicians were not able to mimic this at all. And the magicians actually went to Pharaoh and said, Listen, this was the hand of God. You must believe. But his heart was hard, and he would not believe. So God turned the gnats into a little bit bigger animal and gave yet a fourth sign, and He sent flies over the whole land. They covered the land, the Bible says. I don't know if you've been up on the North Shore on those years. I think about every seventh or eighth year on the North Shore, there's a phenomenon that happens in those big old horse or deer flies or whatever they are. They just cover the place. I remember the last time we were up there visiting Kim's family, and we came out of a store in Lutzen, and our car was literally, I kid you not, it was black, completely covered in these big old huge flies. It was horrible. We were there for a week and we couldn't go outside for the whole week. Well, the land of Egypt was like that. It was totally covered with flies. And Pharaoh, he was totally powerless to do anything about it. He was supposedly God, but he couldn't stop it. And just like us, he didn't like flies. So he asked Moses and Aaron, he pled with them, please tell the Lord your God, please tell Him to stop this. And they prayed, and God, by His great strength, stopped the flies. Pharaoh didn't like flies any more than we do. He prayed, God sent them away, but his heart hardens. And so God now stretches his, out, his hand out over a, a strong and powerful thing, the beasts of the field. Horses, donkeys, camels, sheep, goats, whatever they were, God stretched His hand out and killed them all. Again, another important food source, another important energy source, Another important source of power on the earth. Who could stand up to all the livestock on the earth? Well, the Lord God can. And He killed them all. But none of the Hebrews' livestock were killed. God was beginning to make a distinction between His people and the Egyptians. He struck the Egyptians, but He did not strike the people. And He was showing again that He is the God of life. He is the God that can give it. He is the God who can take it. And Pharaoh was powerless to stop him. If he gives life, Pharaoh cannot take it away. If he takes life, Pharaoh cannot give it. And yet, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so the Lord sent a sixth plague, a horrible plague. This is the first time that Aaron did not stretch out his staff, but rather he took dust and flung it into the air. And when he did, horrible boils went throughout the whole land of Egypt. The Bible says on people and on livestock. Now you may say, how could it go on livestock when all the livestock just died? Well, I think a little bit of time passed and the most powerful nation on the earth acquired more livestock 
And when they did, God sent disease upon all of them. He's showing Himself now, not only to be the God of animals, but to be the God of health and sickness. What did their magicians do? What did their priests so often do when people were sick? They prayed over people that they might be healed. Even this day in Baraka House in the village out in India, if someone's sick, they go to their magicians, so to speak, and try to get them to heal them. This is the way of the world in that day and the way of the world in our day in many places in the earth. But now the Bible says very clearly, even the magicians were struck with the boils and they could not stand before Moses and Aaron. The point is, God alone is the God of sickness and health. He's the God of all things. Pharaoh is absolutely helpless to do anything about this. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart because he had more of himself to display. And so he would not believe. And the Lord set yet another sign, a seventh sign. This was a tremendous hailstorm. Each of us have seen hailstorms. Probably most of us have had to have our siding or our roofs replaced because of hailstorms, so maybe we can relate to this. This was a horrible one across the land. It destroyed all the, the vegetation. It destroyed all living things that were not hidden. It was a horrible storm. None of it yet touched the people of Israel. And God is trying to say, I am the God of nature. Not only am I the God of, of water and of the breath of life and of gnats and of flies and of livestock, and the God of sickness and health, but I am the God over nature. I rule the sun, I rule the moon, I rule the stars, I rule the clouds, I rule rain, I rule thunder, I rule lightning, I rule hail, I rule it all. I am the God of all gods. And Pharaoh is helpless to do anything about it. This was a devastating storm. If you look there at chapter 9, starting in verse 13, you will see that God gave more explanation to Pharaoh now about why it is that he was doing what he was doing. This is very, I think, helpful and insightful for us. Chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they might serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. There's the purpose of all the plagues, beloved. He's revealing himself to one who thinks that he is God. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Do you see what's happening, beloved? God is confronting a man who thinks that he is God and refuses to humble himself and admit, I am not God. So he's confronting, confronting, confronting. He's hardening his heart to reveal more and more and more of himself and to destroy the most powerful false religion on the face of the earth in those days. But despite all of this power and despite this wisdom, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not believe. And so the Lord sent yet another plague with a new twist. If you look at chapter 10, Verses 1 through 2, you'll see now that the Lord adds another purpose, not only to display Himself to the Egyptians, but also to display Himself to the Israelites. He wanted His own people to know that He is God. 
That He is the one who heard them in slavery. That He is the one who would deliver them. That He is the one they should teach to their children and to their grandchildren. So again, the great point of Exodus 7-12 through is the revelation of the being of God and the, the proclamation of the name of God. With this, the Lord caused a great east wind to come up and He blew locusts into the land. Now, Kimmy went to school down in Kentucky, and they will have locust infestations down there. I remember her telling me about those days when, when the locusts would come in, and you'd walk down the sidewalk, and your feet would just crunch, crunch, crunch under all of the locusts. They literally cover the land, and they're very devastating because they eat everything. They just absolutely destroy everything. And I think that the point of this eighth plague is that they ate all the crops. And the reason I think that's the point is because God is showing Himself to be God over the food supply of the earth. He's the God of water. He's the God of breath of life. He's the God of livestock. He's the God of health and sickness. He's the God of of storms. And He's the God of, of food. He's the God of the sustenance that we need. He's showing Himself to be God. And Pharaoh was totally helpless to do anything about it. So he pleaded with Moses, please pray to your God. Moses did. God relented, but Pharaoh hardened his heart again. It's easy for us, I think, to judge Pharaoh. But i got to tell you, the more I read this story this last week, I kept thinking of how my own heart is like this. And every time I cry out to God, He delivers me. And then I just forget the pain that I was in and go about my life as though nothing had happened. Pharaoh was doing this. He just hardened his heart, hardened his heart, refused to submit himself. And so now God brought a ninth plague, a terrible plague. It was a plague of darkness. And with this plague, God is showing Himself to be the God of light and of dark, the God of good and of evil, the God of life and of death. The Bible says that for three days, darkness descended upon the land of Egypt. It says that it was a darkness that could be felt. I don't know if you've ever been in darkness like that. The closest caverns that I know of in this area are in South Dakota. But one year... uh, maybe 25, 30 years ago now, I went down into some caverns in the Grand Canyon area. And they took us in an elevator about 30 stories down or something like that. And when we got out into there, they told us to hold on to the rails real tight. And when we did, they shut the lights off. And I'll tell you, when they shut those lights off, that was a darkness you could feel. It was a darkness so dark, I don't even know how to explain it. It was almost a total absence of light. That's what it felt like for three days The land of Egypt was like this, except for the area where the Israelites were. They had light. Now some skeptic might say that that's impossible. There's no way for that to happen. And all I would answer is to say, I don't have to defend God. He's God. He created the universe. If He wants to turn the lights off, He can. Amen? I don't need a scientific explanation. What I know is that the Lord is God. And what I know is that He was trying to show to a man who thought He was God, you are not God. I control light. I control darkness. If you ever go and study the pyramids and the ancient Egyptian religions, you will see that they were very deliberate about the direction in which they put all their buildings because they believed that the light and the motion of it and the, and the, the, the placement of that light had everything to do with the gods that they believed in and that they worshipped. With this sign, the Lord was saying, No, you are wrong. Your gods are are not real. Your thoughts are not real. I am the God of light. I am the God of darkness. Pharaoh pleaded. Moses prayed. God relented. But Pharaoh hardened his heart yet once more time. Yet one more time. Please look there now in chapter 11. 
we get to one final sign. The Lord tells Moses that he will do this sign and that afterwards Pharaoh will finally let the people go. The the Lord further instructs Moses and tells him to do something really interesting. He says, Moses, go tell the people of Israel to ask the Egyptians to give them silver and gold. And when they did actually ask, the Egyptians just gave it over in droves because the Lord their God was with them. So God is preparing His people for exit. He's giving them resources that they need. He's allowing them to plunder those who had enslaved them for 400 years. The favor of God is upon them. And then God sends Moses into Pharaoh's presence one more time. And Moses says, Pharaoh, about midnight, the Lord is going to come through the land and He's going to strike every firstborn of Egypt. From the greatest person on the throne to the least person who is poor and who is a slave, from every man to every single kind of animal, the firstborn of Egypt will be mine, and yet none of my people will be touched. None of my people will be struck. And when this happens, there will be such a great outcry in the land of Egypt, such as has never been heard or ever will be heard, that your own servants will come and beg you to let the people of Israel go, and you will do it. You will do it. And with that, if you'll notice there, Moses actually storms out of Pharaoh's presence. He's very angry. Confrontation after confrontation after confrontation just brought Moses to a place where he felt the rage of God and he stormed out of Pharaoh's presence. But Pharaoh would not believe. He would not relent. He had seen God show His power over so many things and now that the threat of his own son was on the line, he still would not believe. Now I tell you what I think partly what's going on here. Next week we're going to come back and spend the whole Sunday dealing with the Passover. So I'm not going to say much about that now, but I do want to say this. I think that the main point of this final plague is to show that the Lord is God and Pharaoh is not. And here's what I mean. Pharaoh believed and the Egyptians believed and most people in the world believed that his firstborn son was a second incarnate God that would one day grow up and become the incarnate God over the land of Egypt and over the universe, in fact. And so God, I believe, in striking His firstborn is in a sense cutting off the descendancy of a throne that really doesn't exist in the first place. God is saying, I am the God of life. You are not God. Your Son is not God. Your religion is false. I give life. I take it away. And there's nothing anybody can do about that. We will look at much more depth at this next week. But again, what I hope that we see today is that God is confronting the greatest false religion on the earth in those days simply to say this, I alone am God. I am Yahweh. I am the I Am. And I will be worshipped. By the way, even though God was so harsh with Egypt right now, I don't think that in the long term His heart was to destroy Egypt. In the long term, He wanted to save Egyptians just like He wants to save people from our countries as well. But in the short term, God had to confront one who thought he was God. And so he did. I do believe this is the main meaning of the plague. Moses and the people of Israel had been very depressed, probably more than we can relate to at this moment. Because God had not acted in a way that they thought that God would act. And yet, when the Lord was ready, when their time of suffering had been complete, he stretched out his mighty hand and he did many great things. The season of of waiting and wondering and of suffering in the lives of Moses and of Israel gave way to the season of suddenly 
where the Lord God stretched out His hand and began to suddenly do mighty things. And when He did, they believed, beloved. When He did, they came to see that what depressed them was not the purposes of God, but their, their, their belief in the wrong purposes. Their expectations were not God's expectations. And when they saw what the plans of the Lord were, their hearts were indeed thrilled. This teaches us a massively important lesson. And really it's the point of today's message, I think. And that is that, as I said to a brother a few weeks ago, I told him that the Lord is not faithful to our purposes, but the Lord is faithful to His own purposes. And so often in life when we do get depressed and dejected and deflated and upset with God, and just we don't understand life, we don't feel that excitement about life anymore, we wonder who God is and what He's doing, all of that, a lot of it has to do with that we have been believing in our own purposes and God is not faithful to our purposes. He's just not. God is faithful to the end, but only to His own purposes. And His purpose in this story was to reveal Himself as God that everyone would know that they know that they know that the Lord is God. And I would submit to you that His ultimate purpose in all of our stories is just the same. The, the details will change from situation to situation, but the Lord God is trying to use our lives to reveal Himself. And so I encourage you to humble yourself, submit yourself, relax yourself under His mighty hand, and know that when He's ready, He will stretch it out, and He will do great things, and He will show you and those around you that He is God. Let's pray. Our Father, I love You for the Word. I love You for the revelation that You gave to the Egyptians and to the Israelites and to the nations of the world in that day and to the revelation that You're giving to us in this day. How I pray that You would help us, Lord, through the Word to relax ourselves and trust in You. That we would die to our purposes and live to Your purposes. That we would die to our expectations and live to Your expectations. And Father, when the time is full, when you know the time is right, when you know all the circumstances are ready, when you know that our character is ready, when you know that everything's in place, Father, please stretch out your hand and show us that you are God. Show us great and mighty works that we might fall to the ground and worship you and praise you for who you are. We thank you, God, because we know that you will hear and answer this prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.